Welcome back to the Bull Truth Podcast presented by Ryan Frampton and Luke Osberg. Luke, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well, ready to dive into another fun podcast with you, Ryan. So. Yes, and today we're going to be talking about comfort and the different meanings of comfort in our lives. So let's roll the intro. Welcome to the Bull Truth Podcast, hosted by Ryan Frampton and Luke Osberg, shining the light of truth and all the BS of the world. Let's get thinking from BS to bull truth. Alrighty. So before we get started on comfort, Luke, I believe you had uh, a couple points you wanted to bring up. Oh yeah. So a last or in a last episode, you have that trivia question about the edges on the coins, the nickel. There's 118 edges, the little ridges around the edge. And one of our listeners actually uh, sent us a message about why these coins have edges. So I'll I'll read this message to you. They they said, coins were originally made with reading ridges. So back when they actually had value, you couldn't shave the precious metals away. If you shave the valuable metal off, it would tamper with the ridges and it would be obvious that the coin wasn't worth its stated value anymore. Nowadays, they just keep the reading design, even though coins are basically worthless and more of a symbolic idea that continues to have value only because society as a whole believes it has value. So that's from one of our friends, uh, thank you very much, Elena. A great, greatly appreciate you sending that in so we can that figure great. out more the reason behind this. Yeah, so I like that. Um, I also had a listener ask me if I was related to Peter Frampton, and I just wanted to clear the air before other people began to think so. And I just want to say I am not related to Peter Frampton, I think. I believe we had it tested uh, a few years back. I'm not completely sure on the story, but from what I've heard from my family, I am not related to Peter Frampton. But if anybody wants to send me money to really get it tested, I'm I'm totally open for that. Um, and then Luke, you had uh, one more thing to say. Oh yeah, uh, so this is kind of fun. The app that we post our uh, podcasts on does like analytics things, and uh, it's kind of funny. We have two percent of our listeners coming from Germany, uh, which so I think shout is to those hilarious. Germans out yeah. there listening to our podcast. I mean, we don't speak German on this podcast, so I hope they understand our English. Um, yeah, just kind of funny thing. And also a, a good portion of our listeners are between the ages of 45 and 59. That's what our analytics that tells is, us. That sounds about right. That's pretty interesting. Hilarious. So anyways, random random analytical things. All right. You ready to get going? Oh, yeah. Let's let's dive into this material. So we're talking about philosophy and comfort. Um, before we get started, we talked a little bit about it in the first episode, but let's just, let's just talk about what comfort means because mm. there's a lot of different meanings especially materialistic meanings of comfort versus spiritual meanings of comfort. So let's go into that a little bit. Do you have any dictionary definitions so of comfort? So the very first, uh, when I think of comfort, I think of it as a, we're thinking, talking about it as a noun in this sense. And I looked it up and the, the first dictionary definition uh, for comfort as a noun is strengthening aid, um, which when I think we talked a little bit about the Latin idea for comfort in our last episode, that it literally means conforte, uh, with strength. Um, and I think that the basic definition that the dictionary offers of strengthening aid ties perfectly with this idea of a comfort being with strength. Um, I think this kind of, honestly, in a sense, this basic definition of comfort oftentimes conflicts with our ideas of comfort. Like when you hear the word comfort, what do you, what's the first thing that comes to your mind, Ryan? So when we first bring up comfort, I automatically go to a worldly sense of comfort, which a lot of times I think can be associated with laziness, 
in a way a little bit. Um, this comfort, I, I mean, I kind of think of Christmas at my house, honestly. I think of stockings <laughs> on the fireplace. I think of, you know, my family all together. And there's, I think there's a couple reasons for that. I think love is a form of comfort. It's like the love I have for my family and knowing I have people I can trust and people I love around me is a form of comfort. Uh, in this little scene I set, the warmth of the room I'm in from the outside cold is an idea of comfort. Um, yeah, stuff like that is where I immediately go to comfort, but obviously there's a completely different sense of a spiritual comfort. Do you think that these sort of things provide you strengthening aid? N- not necessarily. I- if anything, it almost seems like when I think of comfort in that sense, I don't have, I don't necessarily have a strength. Hmm. When I think of with strength, when you when you say that definition of comfort, I immediately go to my spiritual idea of comfort. But I think of almost arming myself for battle. Yeah. In a way. <laughs> the scene I said is obviously not that arming myself for battle, but having comfort in God, having strength in God is like getting ready to go into that battle with God, it seems like. Yeah. And whereas like when we think of the comfort like the Christmas comfort that you're talking about, oftentimes those are honestly times when we give our senses breaks. So uh, we let ourselves relax, we let ourselves be less alert. Um, we're more complacent. We're uh, seeking just kind of that, that mental dead zone, honestly. Yeah. Like when you finish finals and you just get home, like you go home for Christmas break and you're just like, oh. Yeah. And just crash. So, so do you think there's a, you could almost put those two senses of comfort as a selfish form of comfort versus a selfless form of comfort? Um, I'm not quite certain on that because on the selfish, I, I would say that it is somewhat, I guess, self-centered for us to seek these things. And to a certain extent, we do need rest. God tells us that we need rest on the Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. And so there's good types of like recreation uh, within that. But when we seek it purely for its own sake, um, and just pursuing that, that's when it becomes the, the overindulgence of it. And dive, like diving into that further, when we become overindulged with comfort, all we want is comfort, more comfort, more comfort. Yeah, right. um, and I think that's, this is when we get more into like the selfish, selfish idea of it. Um, I think I've heard it said before that we, our society likes to throw pay killers at problems. Mm-hmm. So like someone have an issue, oh, just cover it up with this. Say, oh, it's been a rough week at school. Oh, go out, party hard on the weekends, get right. drunk. Yep. Um, say, uh, your girlfriend broke up with you or something like that. Well, just go and don't try and be around anyone for a long time. I Distance mean, think yourself. about the workaday life, life uh, week lifestyle. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a work five days a week, nine to five, rest in the evenings, then you have two days off on the weekends to to relax. It seems like, honestly, like people aren't seeking that time to, for actual healing. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to move on to the next thing as quickly as they can, which includes finding these these quick fixes through these pleasures of um, that's, that seem like they might be good just because they feel good at the moment. But then they don't have ultimate, it seems to me that they don't have ultimate weight to actually heal the issue. Yeah. It's like a slap on a Band-Aid on top of a huge gush and cut. Yeah, right. You're going to need a healing. Yeah. Um, and that healing, oftentimes in life too, we see this example of when we are in a situation where we need to be healed, like a sur- like we need to get surgery on such uh, a wound, uh, the, it's going to be painful. Like we don't go into the surgery expecting 
everything to feel absolutely fine because there's, there's got to be pain mm-hmm. in the recovery right we got to embrace the pain if we truly want to heal yep. if we don't embrace that pain nothing's going to happen if we just throw throwing painkillers at that pain we're never going to approach the healing portion of it right and i think in this point in this point with the painkillers it allows us to keep throwing one after the other to keep throwing one comfort after another on top of others yeah i think that might be that's when we get into the selfish forms of comfort yeah absolutely but you also talked about um with your idea of comfort that pops up your love for your family mm-hmm. I, I wonder if that i i'm not quite certain that that is like one of those comforts that's simply associated with something for ourselves um i think that it sometimes goes beyond us i i i agree um either i mean there obviously is beauty and love for your family. I think that that love for your family can relate to the love of God that you have, maybe in a form of comfort as well. Because mm. that's what we're really talking about here, right? Uh, finding refuge in something good, right? So in the same way that I may find refuge in my family and comfort, uh, warmth, right, in my family, in the same way, um, that same love, but, you know, multiplied by millions is how we should look at our comfort with God, the same way, right? We're struggling instead of putting those earthly painkillers you're talking about um, on that pain we're going through, we go to God for our comfort, right? And God is the ultimate painkiller, right? <laughs> Maybe not in a physical yeah. sense, but um, obviously, but there is a spiritual uh, painkilling sense, right? Um, whether it be on this earth or you know the life after this earth, there is fulfillment in God. And finding our comfort in our healing in God. I don't know if I'd call him as much the painkiller, though. What would you call him? I, I don't know. He seems to embrace pain. <laughs> he does, because there's also a, a big sense of suffering as well and how we can take that suffering, right? Because our goal, that's kind of why I tried to clarify at the end, because it was a silly example is calling him a painkiller. But um, that's what I was trying to say is this, this earthly suffering we put, you know, we give to God. Mm. And it's storing our treasures in heaven. So that's why I was trying to clarify at the end. Like, if it's not for this life, then it's for the next in the way that the suffering that we go through in our lives, right? And the uncomfortableness that we go through in our lives is for the next and for God ultimately. Yeah. Um, and it gets like back on track, like with having a relationship with God in that sense um, and seeking to love Him places us at it. Like, since it is a relationship, it places us at a, a point of uncomfortableness, seeking to learn someone else who yeah. they are. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, we find it just very awkward to go up and introduce ourselves to someone, to to tell them everything about us, to allow ourselves to learn everything about them. That's very uncomfortable. It mm-hmm. takes sacrifice. But ultimately, when that relationship grows, when we become comfortable with being uncomfortable in that relationship, that's when we see growth. Mm-hmm. And I think that distinguishes this selfish comfort from the selfless comfort is that we can see growth within the selfless comfort yeah. because we're, we're sacrificing something. We're, we're, we're allowing something to take life through our death. Right. I hate to do it, but I'm going to do it again. The, the great workout example of suffering and how we train and we go through suffering for the growth of our strength or whatever mm-hmm. we're trying to do. You know, if you want to get better at wrestling, you go through the pains of workouts, of wrestling, of getting hurt. But it's 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 the regrowth you get from that. The better person that you become through your comfort. You're not you're not going in and then right when it starts getting hard, you stop. 
right? And you just, you try, you do everything you can to just get comfortable again. But no, there's, you push through it, right? To get yeah. better. It's the exact same way in our spiritual life as well. The tribulations and the trials of our, of our life are really what test us, right? And it, it, it really allows us to, to just take that suffering we're going to and turn it towards God. There's a beauty and a blessing in suffering sometimes. It's not always a terrible thing. Though it may seem terrible in this materialistic worldly sense, but Yeah. And just being able to dive into like we talked about, being uncomfortable in the moment and then allowing ourselves to grow in that so that eventually we seek that uncomfortableness. And that the uncomfortableness also becomes our comfort, which is crazy to think. It is. Um it, it, it's kind of reminds me of like the cross. The cross is uh, that stumbling block for all, where this this uncomfortableness that we should seek is a stumbling block for our growth, but ultimately our our, our growth comes after it. So, mm-hmm. um, moving on a little bit, um, it seems to me that oftentimes people do like to say that God, faith, and religion are just band aids for comfort, and it's like in a sense they're saying that no, it. While it is a selfless comfort that we seek in relationship with God, ultimately we're just using them as band-aids. What do you our, mean by that? Like sometimes people say that man made God just so that they're comfortable, hmm. that they know that they, they feel like their life has meaning so and that you, gives them comfort. Are you saying that in the philosophical and the theological questions that man couldn't answer, God was a way in which they could resolve those questions? Is that kind of what you're saying? Like there, there's questions on earth and there's things that we can't, like these these huge topics that we can't answer. God is a way in which we can put yeah. those questions to and have answers for. Yeah, like the, He just fills in the blanks answer. of the things we can't really figure it out in this life. Yeah, and having an answer kind of gives us that comfort. Hmm. Oh, I think this applies to we talked about what it means to know something versus what it means to inquire into something. Right. Yep. I think if we just stop at that basic level of saying, yep, I know that God's there. And if we don't allow ourselves to like be uncomfortable in just using theology and our reason to mull over these things in our mind, to chew on them, um, it seems that that's when we see that it's just a selfish comfort as if we're just seeking to know it, to know it, not necessarily to know it, to love it. Right. Yeah. So not being a philosopher is an ultimate form of comfort because, because not seeking, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Seeking is uncomfortable. Continually working towards truth is uncomfortable. Right. In a sense, there's a comfort and an uncomfort in continually seeking towards God. In one way, you never get your answer. You know, someone looking at it from the outside may say that you will never find your answer to what God is. And that's uncomfortable because you want to know God and you want to truly believe in him in a sense of seeing, uh, touching, whatever, um, hearing God in a physical sense. But there's comfort in knowing that he is beyond and above you, mm. right? There's a comfort in knowing that there is something greater than what is happening in this world of materialistic being. So we can be called to that comfort, but then we continually seek the uncomfortableness in it by see, continue seeking to yeah. understand it's what that actually is. It's an interesting little paradox is. going on there. But yeah. 
it, it is beautiful too. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just don't think that people who are Christian really understand that principle. I think there is something very unattractive about not knowing what you believe in. When, you know, blessed are those who believe but do not see, right? Mm. Like, like there is, I mean, that's really faith is what we're talking about here. I feel like, I feel like people who aren't Christian may have the excuse of why would you ever believe in God if you can't see him? Mm. Or why would you ever believe that there's a God? And, and not only do believe that there's a God, there's a difference between believing in a God and then committing your life to God, right? Because there's one thing you just believe, say, yeah, I'm looking at the physics of this and the, in the science of the world. And yeah, like, I think there's a God. It makes sense for there to be a God. And then there's, there's a God out there who created me. I am made in the image of God. And what I'm doing on my earth is loving, worshiping, and being a servant of God. There's a huge difference there, right? Yeah. I think that people would see that as a very unattractive thing. Like, why would you give up the pleasures of sin? Quotes around that. The pleasures of sin just to believe in this thing that you can't even see in any physical sense. Which we can talk about it a different podcast, but I mean, I believe I can see God in different aspects of the world. But we'll leave that for for a different day. Yeah, I think uh, this comes to the point of like questioning faith and how faith can bring us comfort, but in a, a different sense. Uh, this is like like this is the the, the the comfort that we talked about in the beginning, that strengthening aid. Um, and I think so. Just to distinguish, like so, reason we have our uh, using our using premises, coming to arguments or forming arguments based on premises, uh, coming to conclusions. Um, and that's kind of how we use our natural reason is a general, this is something that here, this is also this something, therefore these two are the same. Mm -hmm. That's like using our natural reason uh, to, dedu to deduce things, to use logic. Um, but then we have faith and faith is often put in question of how it relates to logic. Like, if we can use our reason to understand many things, what's the need of faith? Well, uh, if, if we know God exists, if we see that he exists, um, this is something that must be assented to by faith. Right. Because God, God reveals himself to us in a way that gives us certainty that we know that he exists. We just have to assent to it to say, yes, I believe that revelation. Mm -hmm. um, Pope... John Paul II, or St. John Paul II said, I believe faith and reason are the two wings in which we, I'm going to mess up this quote, but fly or ascend towards truth, mm. right? There has to be a sense of, of, of a faith uh, in God, but also we have to use reason in our lives because we can't just rely on faith because then we have no direction to put our reason towards, right? There's no path in which we can reason, but then we can't just reason because reasoning will get us nowhere if we don't accept that there is a higher power out there. Um, there was, I can't remember, I think it was Father Mark's homily the other day, but he described the story of um, this person in the middle of an ocean. They were shipwrecked, and let's just, I don't know the real story, but I got the gist of it. There was this person, let's just say, on this plank of wood in the middle of the ocean, and they're praying to God, they're saying, God, please help me, please send me help. And a helicopter comes in, and in a big megaphone, they say, uh, Ma'am, sir, do you need help? And the person's like, No, I don't need help. I have God. I have God to help me. And they're like, Okay. And they go away. And the little boat comes by, and they're like, We're here to save you. Do you need, can we save you? And she said, No, God, God has me. 
uh, and then she ends up drowning. She gets to heaven, and then she said, God, why didn't you save me? And he said, I did. I sent you, or I tried to. I sent you a helicopter and a boat. You know, So that's, that's completely relying on faith, and that's where we can see that our reasoning is skewed, right? Mm-hmm. But if you only use logic and reasoning in your life, how will you ever obtain what the philosopher seeks? Or in, in your analogy, how will you ever ask help from God for the, the helicopter? And the, yeah, exactly. They, they won't come in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this, I, oh, I, these, these just seem like uh, this faith is that strength, like that extra, the extra strength that we have in this life. Uh, that is the comfort that we all receive in pursuing truth. Mm-hmm. I think this is the comfort that we should seek is to continue to have uh, that relationship with God in which he reveals himself to us over and over again. Uh, that reminds me of this quote um, from Pope De- Benedict XVI. Um, he said, the world offers you comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Mm. Uh, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, but your story reminded me of that quote in that it, he makes the distinction here that there is a difference between this worldly sense of comfort and then an ultimate greatness right and and the world all especially nowadays we can really say that's true with technology coming into effect everything in our world is advancing to make our life more efficient and comfort yeah it's easy <laughs> it's, it's getting too easy yeah. right to the point where we're not suffering as much as we should and working like we should um but we're not made for that worldly comfort we're made for a more ultimate sense of comfort, which is ultimately heaven and God, right? And resounding in the love of God one day. But in order to do that, there has to be an uncomfortableness about the world we live in. Because yeah. Christianity, Catholicism, whatever you call it, is not comfortable. The, it, it is not easy to be a Christian. Yeah. By any by any means, there there is okay. Let me rephrase. There is a means in which we find comfort in God that is easy through the faith. Through the faith, but at the same time, living in a life of temptation and resisting it for the sake for for God and for the love of God and to serve God is difficult. Offering yeah, offering ourselves uh, as a sacrifice every day for those who, for Him and also for those whom He loves, mm-hmm. our friends around us, um, our family, all of it. And also, it calls us away from the world that says, oh, you need uh, to always be working to be comfortable. Uh, you need to always make sure you, you got uh, an opinion on something to be comfortable. You need to always um, be, have, have the coolest new clothes to be comfortable. You need to seek all X, Y, Z mm-hmm. to be comfortable. Uh, just, it just continues to add on. Or probably money is things. probably one of the biggest ones. Yeah, Having me. money is... Yeah. Is what being comfortable is. Security, uh, ultimately, that all passes away. We're all gonna die. Yeah, we're all I feel like I die. say that often. We're all just gonna die. It's true. What's the What's the phrase you have in your room? Memento yeah. mori. Yeah, remember death. So true. Um, so, so what do you think about the idea of just having something then to do in this life is what's comfortable? Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about overworking in a way too and how mm. we might be like there is beauty in putting your life into work because god calls us to work but i think there is a sense in which you can overdo it and kind of be a workaholic if you if you will yeah it's like oftentimes i feel like we see in life with people nowadays they just 
they go through life, they're like, I'm going to work, I'm going to work, I'm going to work, provide for my family, provide for my family, provide for my family. Family leaves the nest, they retire, they get older, they get older, they can't do as much, they can't do as much. And all of a sudden when they're not doing as much, they feel useless. Mm-hmm. And they end up thinking that, oh, it had been better back in the good old days. But they're still loved at that moment by God. But they, they don't have that comfort of doing something. And I think this is a side effect of the pragmatism in the world is just, yeah, it was not necessarily all about doing something. Rather, it's about knowing, like in that uncomfortability, that God is providing you strength to know that he is good and that he loves you, that he's providing you the, with the strengthening aid of comfort to know that you are good and beloved, which is something that I think the world tries to make it seem different that it's better just to be comfortable in this in this final sense by through euthanasia um the the world is offering death as comfort Mm. um which is completely counterintuitive to our minds when when we go if you go through life all the time thinking that doing something has got to be the comfortable thing that's like very much in the life like you're literally alive you're, you're working um, but if you see that, if you just think that work is all that makes life and you get to the end and you're not working, then the comfortable thing is to just end the life at that point if you're not able to work. Yeah, I mean, how, how, many, how many people do you see that, like their whole, their whole life and everything they talk about is their work? Yeah. Right? You can't have a conversation with some people about big topics like we're having right now. Yeah. Or about life or God. You know, the first, first question a lot of times when, when people haven't seen each other in a long time is, Hey, Lou, how's work going? Yeah. Right? Or because, like, what are you up to nowadays? <laughs> yeah, and nobody's saying, well, I'm really trying to improve my heart, my mind, and my soul. You know, nobody <laughs> says that. Everybody's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'm at this job now. I'm doing this. Stuff like that. It's so work, uh, work-based. And I think that when it becomes too far, or how I would d- define you know, being a workaholic, is when you're putting too much of your life towards work and not enough towards your spirituality. Hmm. So for an example, if you wake up in the morning and the first thing you think about is how am I going to make money today? How, what am I supposed to do at work today? What am I stressed about at work today? That is, I mean, that's, that's not a good thing compared to waking up, taking a knee and say, I'm going to dedicate my life to you today, God. Yeah. Like the work I'm doing today is for you. And there, there has to, I, I talk about this a lot with people, there has to be a compatibility between the life you live in the physical sense, and that includes even your family and everything and your friends and the things you do with your friends, they have to be completely compatible with your spirituality. Or else, ultimately, your spirituality isn't a significant enough part of your life, right? If God is not intertwined in everything you do in your life, which we're sinners, and I can tell you firsthand, he is not to the point where he should be in my own life, right? I don't, the actions I do in my life a lot of times, you know, I, not that they're necessarily sinful, but I don't do them in a way that includes God and I don't do them for God. I don't spend enough of my day trying to be a light for God. When we're wrapped up in our work and making money, you know, money is a lot of times the root of all evil because it drives us away from our spirituality. And these comforts, when we seek them for themselves, they make us anxious when we don't have them. Mm-hmm. And I think, I hear it all the time, like anxiety is on the rise 
in our generation, most especially. And it seems to me that since the world is giving us so many comforts nowadays, like have this, have this, have that, have that, when we don't have even one, when we, when we are particularly tempted to have it, it gives us so much more anxiety. Mm. I think that's a thread of a lot of this issue. And so that like, further amplifies your point. We have like a solid basis as to what our true comfort is. Where do we get our true comfort? Is it strength or is it tr- being lackadaisic? That's interesting in because purposes? people think anxiety comes from not being comfortable, mm. right? They think I'm not comfortable enough. I have this huge test that I've been studying for. I've been working all well, night. If you're addicted to comforts, it certainly does come from being uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's not just drugs, alcohol, things that people think addiction yeah. would rely. I mean, there is addiction and comfort in being lazy. Yeah. Laziness is probably one of the biggest addictions in our lives. Also, just addiction to knowing what's going to happen or an addiction to having like, just um, making sure everything's planned for and everything's provided for. There's that's addiction. In, that's interesting. I actually haven't thought about that. We talk about that a little bit more. Like an addiction to ha- planning what's ahead. Like you want to know what's going to be going on. And I think that's a comfort for many people is knowing what's going on. And when that doesn't happen. Uh, like they have a schedule in their day and when that gets yeah. interrupted by something. When that doesn't happen, anxiety sets in. They're, they're, they're in an uncomfortable situation and they're faced with all this anxiety. And all of a sudden, potentially other things make them discomfortable. And all of a sudden, there's more anxiety. Um, and it just, yeah. th- that anxiety has got to be given to Christ who knows the discomfort. Um, he knows the pain. And then we have to learn how to be uncomfortable. Yeah. We have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I think, I think almost all of this can be tied up in an idea that I was just thinking about the other day, which would be kind of an idea of home. Mm. And what we define as our home. So when we look at the scent, what we think of as home, we think of what is comfortable. Uh, after a long day of work, whether you're working at, on a farm, uh, in an office, wherever, and you've had a long day of work, all you want to do is go home. Right. That's where you eat, you spend time with your family, you watch TV, all these very comfortable things, right? And ultimately... Our spirituality kind of relies on where our sense of home is. Because if you only think of our sense of home as a physical home, which includes our family, which again is a beautiful thing, unless we put only our whole lives to our family and not towards God, that I think is where the anxiety, the fears, everything starts to set in. Ultimate uncomfortability sets in. Rather, our home should be God and the church. Yeah, we're, we're supposed to be uncomfortable in this life because we aren't to our heavenly rest with God yet. We aren't one with him, mm-hmm. uh, which is back to St. Augustine's quote of our hearts are restless until they rest in God. He is our home. Um, so it makes sense for us to, we, we, we really then need to learn how to be uncomfortable in this life if we want to make it through life. Yeah. Because <laughs> we won't ever reach the, the, that perfect satisfaction that we're all seeking. And we won't, people, yeah. we'll never seek the, the, be, the beatific vision until heaven. Yeah. It's a, what makes us happy. People, people can't handle the truth. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. They can't. And they, they can't understand that idea of our sense of home being in God necessarily. I, I a lot of times can't 
it's hard for me uh, in my struggles to not turn to things that make me feel, I guess, good in the moment or those uh, like, like kind of numbing things a little bit, mm-hmm. the things that can kind of numb our suffering. I don't, I, there are a lot of examples and it's not, I mean, there's, there's also like a mental suffering a lot of times, whether we're tired or annoyed or angry at something we shouldn't be at or whatever. A lot of times, you know, I'll go work out. And that, that's how I try to numb my pain. Uh, I, a lot of times, call people, which I think is a, a great thing to do. But I do all these things and I don't go to God mm. about them. I make the mistake a lot of times as well of only going to God when I feel like I need him. Mm. I ultimately need God all the time. But I think there's really something to be said there that rather than going to God only when we're uncomfortable and only when we're suffering, we should be going to God even when the times seem great in our lives. Yeah, when oftentimes too, it's like, right when we are in that comfortable situation, something's going to trip us up. So like, we need to have God there preparing us for that situation. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, uh, what it really seems that's going on is that when we embrace all this com- uncomfortableness, uh, seeking the comfort that we will have eventually, uh, we're just continually seeking the cross, like we talked about in our last episode. Mm. Seeking the cross, embracing it over and over again. Yeah. Well, I think that pretty much sums it up pretty well. Yeah. Anything else you want to say? Well, we tied it back to the cross again, so. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's good. We, have, we do have one, um, another trivia question for this Oh, week. yeah, I forgot about that. We decided this time that Luke is going to do the trivia question to me that I have not heard, and then I guess next week I'll say a trivia question back. Yeah. All right. So, since this is a podcast and we talk on podcasts, we use lots of words. Yeah. Um, Ryan and I, since we have a podcast, we may use more words than the average male. Now, Ryan, how many words a day does the average man speak? How, how is that even measured? How can you say that? Some study in 2006, uh, I looked it up. But how many people would they have to test? I don't know. It's statistics. <sighs> this seems unreliable, but... All right, how many... So how many words does the average man speak in a day? Yeah, I'll give you plus or minus 500. Actually, plus or minus 1,000. No, oh, so it's a big number. Okay. I'm going to say the average man speaks... 65,000 words. <laughs> oh, man. All right. What about the average woman? 100,000. <laughs> uh, in terms of proportion, you're somewhat close. The average man speaks 7,000 words a day. And the average, the average woman speaks 20,000 words a day. Whoa. Hold on. How was I so off there? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I've words. never really thought about that. But I feel like it would go by quickly yeah. throughout the day. I thought it would be a higher number than that. But, huh. Yep. Interesting. Fun stuff. Very cool. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, yeah, I, I have one more shout out. Uh, there's okay. this really cool book called Brave New World, and it really dives into a interesting philosophical question on comfort. Uh, we might have to discuss the book on a later podcast, uh, but just put that out there if you're looking for a cool questioning about comfort. There you go. Yeah. Sweet. And hopefully, either next week or the week after, we'll get a guest on. We've had a couple people express interest um in our podcast so uh yeah and then again if you guys have any 
uh, podcast that you'd like us to do, feel free to let us know. We have an email. It's theboldtruth at gmail.com. So if you guys really feel like you want to let us know uh, a topic or even if you want to be on it and you feel that you have something really passionate about that you want to talk about, um, feel free to email us and let us know. Uh, For that, though, um, I'm signing off. Thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. And remember, keep thinking from BS to bold truth.